0: Welcome to another episode of Struggle. Today on Struggle, we interview Seth Kravitz. Seth Kravitz is the co-founder of insuranceagents.com, and today he'll tell you a little bit about his life and what it was like to struggle through a startup. Seth, thanks for sitting down with me for first interview of Struggle. I really appreciate the time you're taking out of your Saturday. I'm happy to be here. Let's dive into this. Go back to the start. What got you started? started
1: diving heavily into like web design and just how the internet worked and how people were making money on the internet. And randomly at that same kind of period of time, uh, a guy named Lev reaches out to me, says, hey, I heard you're like a web guy. You can do web things. And he was an insurance agent. And uh, the rest kind of became history at that point. Because basically from that point going forward, I decided to like co-found this company called insuranceagents.com with him. and. Uh, even though it was was very boring as far as what we did we help people save money on insurance but um, it was interesting from some check challenges and I was so much happier there than I was at school and so that kind of inevitably ended, me, ended up in me dropping out of college and then doing this full-time first or second month in operation we've been able to become profitable when you are only paying yourself like $500 and uh, you're operating out of your co-founders parents basement um, Things are pretty cheap, They're pretty cheap, so uh, It's easy to be profitable. We're not really spending any money
0: Do you guys see yourself getting pretty big?
1: Based on what we'd seen in our competitors there, you could there's you can at least make it a 12 to 15 million a year in revenue in this uh, area pretty quickly like we, we'd seen um, at least two or three of our competitors Within a couple years of launching, maybe three years of launching, they're already at, um, they'd finally broken like the eight-figure revenue mark. And uh, so we knew it was possible, and uh, we knew we were more aggressive than a lot of them were. I mean, we were ferociously aggressive on the sales and marketing side. We were maniacs on the phone. Like, we were calling and closing people. We were cold calling like crazy, downloading every list we could get our hands on with somebody's phone number on it. And we were running it through, like, call center style, trying to, like, just close these people as far as these are agents.
0: When you started making revenue, how much did you start making? 2005, like you did
1: maybe a quarter million of revenue. 2006, I think it was like 330,000, something like that. Uh, 2007, we we approached breaking a million for the first time. Um, but then like to do 12 million in 2008 was just uh, was like a silly. Big jump. It was like, it was just totally silly. Because then you, when you start doing like a million dollars a month, you start doing the math, and you're like, holy shit, that's a lot of money. It's like, wow. So to be young and like see that happening was kind of...
0: I uh, did know how to handle it, right,
1: I guess. You started making money. How did that make you feel? I don't know. We thought we were like kings of the world. Like, we thought, like, business was easy. And this is just what you do. And, like, you work hard and your revenue just explodes. And uh, that we could just maintain that forever. That, like, we were on our way to being, you know, a hundred million dollar company in, like, five years. Like, you start having these fantasies late you lay at night. And you start doing fantasy math in your head where this actually makes sense that you can just go ahead and like scale right up to like tens of millions hundred million and uh it ends up ends up being a fantasy
0: making some changes to grow even faster what what happened then
1: yeah i mean the original technology that we built out that we're building 2007 uh even through the 2008 the platform we were using to like do, i mean everything was all through one platform everything from like the car call center with the person that's dialing in that moment to the leads that are being generated on the website to how they're processed in the back end, which could be like 100,000 leads in a day, to the accounting and reconciliation of all this as far as like, keeping track of like account balances and how much money we made that day, everything. All, all of these things, everything above from a phone system down to your accounting to whatever, was all one single piece of software that we designed. And uh, we decided to replace that entire single piece of software for the summer, 2009. And we worked on it for several months and uh, we just figured if it not, we can replace it all and make it so it's scalable and also it added a few additional things that we could finally do for the first time uh, that we thought could be a huge additional boost um, to our revenue like it added a couple of, it was supposed to add a couple of new features that we our customers were begging us for like if we just did this i could give you more money if you just did this i could you know i could pay you more every month so we thought we'd deliver those things and july 1st 2009 we put the new uh, system live
0: You had an entire engineering team. What were they working on?
1: It turns out everybody on the engineering team had been working on their own part individually and testing them in unrealistic environments when they said that that it worked, that it had passed all the tests, that it was going to work in production. And also they had never really tested to see if their software works with the other person's software. So if you have like a seven-person dev team, each person is thinking, my piece of software works, but they've never really tested to see if it works with that guy's Software, that guy with their software. Uh, you end up with a situation like we had in July where we went live and nothing worked. Like nothing worked. We didn't necessarily do this intentionally, but I don't know if we did subliminally did this intentionally or not, but we kind of did it in a way where we transitioned over, we made it very difficult for ourselves to go back.
0: Everything was melting down around you. What was it like in the
1: office? have agents calling us every five minutes being like literally like what the hell is going on my account balance says 300 and i log back in it says negative negative five thousand. and i log back in it says positive 700 like wow. you know what the hell is going on here i want my money back what, what are you guys doing um so the agent's calling at us screaming at us they're also calling because they're not getting any leads so they're like what the hell like i was getting 10 a day and now you're giving me zero um, you know so we're processing a tremendous amount of refunds that we're just doing manually and Everyone's yelling at us angry and then we kind of like take that pressure and stress into the development room and uh, basically what ends up happening is almost every single developer quits. So all the people that had built the software were the only ones who would be able to like quickly fix it because it was their code, uh, fold like lawn chairs and evaporate. So we have to bring in a whole new set of kind of like disaster recovery kind of engineers to piece by piece fix everything over the next like 45 days.
0: Looking from the outside, how did people view you? I mean, just just a, I mean,
1: it's just the beautiful adding insult to injury kind of thing is. So the Inc. 500 just came out, so I'm holding like literally in August 2009, I'm holding a copy of Inc. magazine that says we're the 24th fastest-growing company in the United States, and we're like literally within weeks going bankrupt because we have had we've issued almost a million dollars in refunds. Uh, Lev and I have burned through our entire personal savings in the process of doing that because we're a bootstrap company. So all the capital that went in was ours. All the capital came out was like, you know, it, it was, we had no investor funds to rely on. We had no one to call and be like, hey, you know, we need to do a bridge round or anything like that. None of that existed. Like we just, we realized it was all completely on our shoulders. So a month later to be sitting there thinking, am I going to have to like terminate 30 people? Like, are we gonna have to like shrink down to a team of like five to like survive this? Are we going to survive the damage we've done to our brand? Because now we have agents like going, posting forums and stuff that like, we're going out of business.
0: If you had to go back and rate this experience, how would you rate it? Into that day,
1: July 1st, 2009, it would be like a 10. Like, it's going to be awesome. So everything's going to be great. We're going to be able to do all these new things. Then they like be at a one uh, within no time and then stay at that one for, I don't even know. How'd you feel as a co-founder? Even though you have somebody, you still feel intensely lonely because you feel like there's no one you can talk to about this. You can't really talk to the employees about it. Like, it just felt like there probably were people we could have talked to. There probably were mentors, advisors, like twenty twenty hindsight. There were people we could have leaned on a little more to share this with. And maybe they could have helped us out in different ways. But, you know, we kind of kept all that to ourselves. And we thought, okay, we build a company by ourselves. Maybe that we can get ourselves out of this ourselves. Like, so it was just Lev and I, like, trying to figure out everything. And, um, you know, it, it yeah, it did start to feel like us against the world. Like you know, it, it it felt a little insurmountable at that moment.
0: When did you start to rebuild? Spring 2010
1: is probably when we first really put a full, committed effort. Because we felt like we finally put up enough fires at that point. that, like we'd take a step back and like, uh, who can we bring on that is an adult that can like put in place everything from like proper. Accounting and finance, or whatever, if we are going to operate without outside capital, we got to be very smart about that. To like a proper engineering, like CTO manager who can run a team correctly where everybody's on the same page with each other and they actually test things in real environments and like all these things. So, like, 2010 was about fixing every single fundamental error that Lev and I made as operators. What was the company like financially? We still had some outstanding bills. We still had to negotiate a lot with some creditors. We had to negotiate with some of our partners and things like that to like give us extra terms, like give us another 60 days. Like, we swear it will be like, it'll be worth it, like. So um, we really weren't like out of that hole probably until like in the middle of 2010. Uh, we didn't owe anybody any money and we didn't, we weren't going like month to month on like, will we survive? What was your personal life like? During the same exact time the company was collapsing, I got divorced. So what happens is I end up um, basically at the end of 2009 in a situation where I, the company's collapsing. So I think my life is over as far as like my startup life. Uh, I'm alone. All my, friend, all my friends at that point were my wife's friends. So I have no friends. I'm in Chicago in a city where I don't really know anyone. And uh, my company's collapsing. And I think you know, everything I've worked for is about to evaporate. And I'm also broke because we've to put everything back in. What were you doing to rebuild yourself? A, if we're going to recover and repair the company, there's probably some aspects of my personal life I need to, like, recover and repair. So what I did in 2010 was I set out to uh, systematically try to deal with the fact that I'm intensely introverted. And how do you create friends more as an adult? It's much easier at high school, college, things like that, than it is once you're out there professionally or whatever. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, how do I get over these like ridiculous irrational fears about like being around people and like shaking hands and all these things that I just really despise doing at that point? So, uh, I start taking speech lessons. I take singing lessons. I intentionally sign up for meetup groups and force myself to go and shake hands with every single person there when I'm there and say hi. My name is Seth Kravitz, and get almost a robotic level with that, but. If it feels incredibly uncomfortable and I feel vulnerable, I feel like those are the things that I'm supposed to throw myself into. So if I see four people in a group at an event in a circle talking, I try to like do that incredibly awkward thing of like sliding into the conversation. So uh, you do that enough, um, the end result ends up being you know whether it's genuine. I'm still introverted, but I. So maybe I'm genuinely not extroverted, but like I can sort of behave that way. I can come across that way. I can get better at interacting with human beings. And mm-hmm. um, so a lot, a lot of 2010 was around me coming out of my shell. And then, then I figured Technori was another way to rapidly accelerate that. So I wanted some friends. So I launched Technori with the hopes of both 50% getting some friends and not being alone all the time. And uh, two helping boost the startup economy like basically just the concept of a rising tide raises all boats like if everyone can work together there's probably uh, a lot the city can do what do you know if you're vulnerable around people you can end up making friends so at this point i don't know i'd say like three very very close probably like best friend level people in chicago now Um, that prior to 2010 i did not have so all of that effort seemed to have paid off and now i I'm a lot more comfortable going to events and being around groups. And, uh, you know, that was that was a pretty substantial change. That was all very methodical and intentional mm-hmm. to try to, like, have the opposite experience of 2009. Where, like, I don't think I talked to anyone that year outside of the people on the side of our company. And, like, I was incredibly insulated. And, um, you know, but the there result all that, it's very, you know, intensely lonely. So, right.
0: um, and by 2011, I don't know if I finally had some friends. and like, life was starting to get better. Did you want to be at insuranceagents.com forever?
1: Towards the end of insuranceagents.com, I definitely started to check out. I made it very clear to Lev that, like, we were always pretty open about this. Kind of worked out an arrangement where I would slowly, like, take less and less and less responsibility, and uh, I slowly, I guess, evaporated towards the end there. Toward the very end, by the time we exited, I had almost zero involvement. Were you happy to walk away? For me, it was more of, like, relief. Like, close the chapter. Done with it. Um, we had tried in 2009, that was obviously the worst moment possible, to uh, you know try to court some possible buyers. 2010, similar thing, like see if anybody wanted to buy us and things like that. And uh, it didn't happen. You know, we, we, we didn't find the interest we were we were looking for, like the price we were looking for. That's when I started to like check out because like oh, I'm going to have to be in this for more years now. So by the time 2012 12 rolled around, that's kind of when I was like I was like I don't really want to do this anymore. <laughs> So that was uh, to finally like have um, this big comp- you know, public co- company called Bankrate step forward and say, yeah, we will acquire you. Here are the terms and all that. It um, was kind of a relief. It was like sweet, you know, this thing that seemed like it was never it was just going to drag on forever, like we will finally like end and like we could both move on with our lives and
0: I can go do what I want now, and Lev can go do what he, what he wants. So looking back on all your struggles, what was the hardest thing you faced? and what would you tell entrepreneurs as your best advice to them going forward, getting through struggles? Hmm. Well,
1: there's, there's no question that 2009, in the middle of that, was an acute struggle moment because to watch what you built that was exploding in a great way suddenly implode and look like it's about to evaporate in addition to getting divorced, in addition to being in a city where you're completely alone that was a bit much. So, you know, I did everything at that moment from like what's everything you're not supposed to do, started like drinking more, started like just being like an asshole to everybody around me. I was like venting. Temporarily lost my mind there. So that was you know, so to go from that to uh I started uh I started seeing a psychologist, all these things like uh I guess I was just lucky to think of doing it in the moment because there was a lot of the things that have led to stability in 2010 again to the point where like okay I can actually like systematically put in place a process which I described as far as becoming less introverted and um, you know finding new friends and trying to build a life for myself so like have like happiness and things like that here in Chicago but I don't know I, mean, I don't know if uh, how much of that was some of that was luck making just a handful of the right decisions at the right time that allowed me to, like, escape that hole because, obviously, it could have gone very much the opposite way. I could have just completely, I don't know, I could have become a raging alcoholic and, like, destroyed my life and all these other things. So, like, uh, luckily, it did not take that trajectory. And I like to think back and think that, like, oh, I must have had, you know, some of that must have been, like, intuition of the future. (laughs) Seth, i got to do this and do this right now, and these will be the things that pull me out of this and, like, whatever. But I don't know if it's... Um, I don't know how intentional that was versus like, I feel like some of that was, I was just very lucky that people, some people encouraged me to go into therapy and things. Was there any one person that said you you need to go talk to someone? There were a handful of people, my, actually my my ex-wife was one of them because she was actually majoring in psychology um, at the doctorate level. So uh, I don't know, I'm just glad I did it. Because it was nice to have kind of an unbiased third-party person I could just vent everything to, and I didn't have to wipe, bite my tongue. I didn't have to worry about what I was going to say. I didn't have to worry about them being a friend, being able to like, hurt their feelings or whatever. Like It was just nice to have somebody I could just tell all that to. So that was definitely a big thing that helped. But then it's uh, so basically just being a better friend to myself, I guess you could say, Whatever you want, you want to phrase it. Um, I think that for, for most people would be like the biggest struggle moment of my life of my young life would be the 2009 period. Um, for now, who knows what the future has? <laughs> Maybe I'll, I'll get one more thrown at me.
0: What are your next plans, Seth?
1: My guess so, it's, on, it's been on record a few different times. I think when I said this at one year in, two years in, three years in, I'll say it again at five years in. I am five years into a 10-year plan, so, so there is proof out there that I've been working on this now for five years, and I'm still like on pace for where I want to be at the end of 10. just it has it just has to do a lot more with I feel like I have I can some specific purpose that I want to like achieve with my life and I'm trying to get there and it's not a business thing or anything like that I'm just so everything I do currently and for the rest of this year and for the rest of next year and so on is about systematically putting everything in place at every level from connections to the people I would need to know to like getting my ideas and thoughts out there through like, thought leadership, kind of like, just writing and very actively publishing for the first time, um, to more on the political side, getting more involved there, and then, uh, which I have been for a couple years, and then bridging together different communities that aren't typically in the same room together. So I bring a lot of, I bring like together artists and scientists, I'll bring together tech people and uh, nonprofit people and things like that. We have dinners, things like that around those concepts and the ideas. I'm just trying to bridge as many communities as I can, make as many friends as I can in these communities, because uh, at the end of 10 years, it's all going to make sense of what I was working on this entire time. So everything I'm doing for the rest of the year is kind of focused more on, at least this year, is focused on uh, a lot of publishing, a lot of interviews, a lot of speaking. I'm going to try to do more speeches in general. Aside from that, I, mean, I always have a couple of things that I'm working on, so.
0: Seth, I look forward to seeing what you build next. Thanks so much for sitting down with me today to share your story of how you overcame your startup struggles. Well, nope, thank you for having me. Absolutely.